right? Israel's the genocide, that's blood liable. There were 150,000 Arab Palestinian Israelis at the beginning of the establishment of Israel in 1948. And now there's like 2.9 million. Worst genocide ever. Hello and welcome to Pivot Points, a podcast exploring the pivot points in people's lives, loves, losses and leadership. Each week, we take our guests on a retrospective, delving into their mindset, perspective and choices at the time of their pivotal moments and what they've taught them in the long run. We explore how the good and the bad, happiness and deep sadness, success and failure are in fact inseparable. And we learn that real strength is born from hardship. We're your hosts, Gabby Miller and Amelia Savall. We're both professional coaches, so in between recording podcasts, we can be found supporting our clients through their leadership and life challenges. Gabby. So, Amelia, (laughs) tell us... Who is joining us on Pivot Points today? Well, this was your catch, actually, darling, wasn't it? We've got Noah Tishby joining us, who is basically Hollywood celeb gorgeousness. And she's also written this heavyweight, amazing book around Israel. And uh, you had been listening to her and you're like, let's give it a go. And we got up. And she's got the most incredible incredible past but we talk we focus on the book so let's just bring you up to speed with her pivots kind of before the book what's there where yes. does her story start Gabs? so she is born into it seems like quite a kind of activist political family in Israel um was an act wanted to be an actor went into acting um then went into the army as you have to in Israel. As you have to in Israel, exactly. So she did, mm-hmm. she did that when she was 18. And then she was um, on a soap and kind of shot to stardom in, in Israel. And then went to LA, as you do, mm-hmm. and became um, the creator and producer of a show I'm sure we all have watched and know called In Treatment, which is absolutely incredible and has won Emmys and Golden Globes and, you know, etc and then has written a book and she comes to us today to talk about the book really we we talked to her about her book called Israel a simple guide to the most misunderstood country on earth which really is pretty incredible it really is it's a kind of a wholesale the history of how it came to be and where we are now and it was released just earlier this year and it's actually amazing how fast that kind of region moves as well so much has happened in that area since I'm sure even by the time we release this will have happened again but it's really it was so insightful for me as someone who doesn't know a lot about the region and is pretty ill-educated on the whole the troubles there about the rift what is Palestine what is Israel how it came about it's really important to know it's really potent stuff on the political agenda and it's hard to have an opinion without knowing about it so I just thank her so much for writing it it really is a simple guide and it really is very misunderstood so it does exactly what it says on the tin Um, prepare yourself for a wow interview there is a lot of energy there is so much sass wow what a privilege and a pleasure it was to speak to her just for an hour 
Absolutely. You're going to learn. You'll take so much from this. And I think it's like she's the person you want on your shoulder if you're ever having to have a conversation about the Middle East. She's so knowledgeable. um, And we really hope you enjoy it. Noah, welcome to Pivot Points. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited to have you here. Thank you. I mean, Amelia and I have both devoured your book. And I, I found it because I feel that I've always been a Zionist. I lived in Israel for a year. And it's something that I always felt ill-equipped to talk about it. As soon mm. as people, and I live in London, where a lot of my friends who are not Jewish are left-leaning and... You know, and I felt ill-equipped to know what to say. And I came away from the book and I was like, oh my God, I finally have all this information that I've needed. Oh my God, that means the world to me. Yeah, it's just the, that it was such a gift because it's so hard. As soon as someone starts saying, you know, but the land was taken from, and, and you don't have the information, it kind of shuts the conversation or, you know, it's an apartheid state or, you know, whatever, whatever comes out. And you just think, well, I don't know enough. Yeah. So I'm I'm so interested just for you to tell us the story that brought you to writing that book as well. And I'm sure it's a long, well, I know it's a, it's a long story, but <laughs> the kind of climax that brought that book to the surface. So first of all, thank you so much for, uh, for saying that it means the world. It literally is the, you know, the reason or one of the reasons that I, that I wrote this um, because I've realized how the conversation gets taken away from from what Israel is about, what it contributes to the world, and why people should care, Jews or not, or non-Jews. Um, it's it's also very interesting because Zionism is a progressive movement, which was designed to progress Jews from persecution, discrimination, and you know the Holocaust, right? So it's almost like Zionism is a, it's a victim of its own success. A not Quilf actually said that because it succeeded in progressing the Jews. And now it's being branded as a racist movement, which couldn't be farther from the truth. So actually, if you are a left-leaning um, liberal and you love democracy and freedom of speech and human rights and women's rights and LGBTQ plus rights and all, everything that we appreciate in Western society, and you do not support Israel within the context of the Middle East, you're an idiot. You're being duped. Like you're actually being manipulated. And this is not, for, for people like me, who's been in this world for a long time, I know where it originated. I know that this is not, it's not by accident, it's by design. So all of your friends that are left-leaning, they don't mean harm. They just fell prey to years and years and years of a, of a political campaign to delegitimize Israel's right to exist and delegitimize, turning it into a pariah state, which is literally, which was literally the intention. So I, 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 my friends are, I'm in Hollywood, right? So my entire community are progressives and liberals, right? And I define myself as a liberal. Like I, I, there's no, I've never voted, you know, I'm a registered independent, but pretty much on every aspect I'm leaning left. And I saw how my community was becoming um, was falling prey to this um, to this propaganda, this anti-Israel propaganda, and I knew that there is no book out there that makes the story of Israel simple to understand. I just knew it wasn't there because I kept looking for it. So at some point, after I kept looking for it, I was like, "Oh my god, I just need to write this thing because I." 
through my conversations with my friends and my communities and speaking engagements and being in this field and all that, I was able to explain this to people in a way that they're kind of went, oh, okay. Like you did when you read the book, right? You read the book and you're like, oh, that I didn't know that, right? Yeah. And that's the, yeah. that's the fact. People actually don't know the history. And that's why you can, like the other side, which is like nefarious side that are intended in dismantling the Jewish state and the single consistent democracy in the entire Middle East and the biggest ally of the West, right? They intend to dismantle it. They did this on purpose because they they kind of like know that people don't know the history. So they'll say, yeah, Israel's an apartheid state when you the facts are like nothing is it, this is just not true. Right. So Arab Israeli Palestinians have equal rights to choose. They're 21 percent minority in Israel and they have arguably better rights than the entire rest of the Middle East and all the freedoms mm. that we enjoy in the West and England and then the United States. Right. But people don't know that. Like the, the 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 little examples that I give, like that an Arab judge is the one who sentenced the former Israeli president to jail, and he's now presiding or in a he's now in the Supreme Court. Like, oh, how, how where is this apartheid, right? Mm. Or genocide, right? Israel's mm. a genocide. That's blood liable. That's just that's it's blood liable. There were 150,000 Palestinian Jewish, um, Palestinian, um, Arab Palestinian Israelis at the beginning of the establishment of, this, of Israel in 1948. And now there's like 2.9 million. Worst genocide ever. Right? Yeah. Or 2.1. You know yeah. what I mean? Like these things are just blatantly false. Right? Mm. But they're being spewed out by social media and Bella Hadid. And now people are like, yeah, Israel's an apartheid state. And you're like, well, it really is not. Let me tell you why. But we're late to the party, right? So this is kind of like truth on Instagram by now. Um, which, by the way, I don't excuse in the book Israel's faults, right? Mm -hmm. Israel's not a perfect country. The United States is not a perfect country. England is not perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect country. And if you want to talk about apartheid, you want to talk about the West Bank, let's have a conversation about the West Bank. Don't blanketly call it Israel. Let's talk about the West mm. Bank. And also, let's talk about why there's no Palestine there yet. Okay? And why there's no Palestine yet cannot be just landed on the doorstep of Israel. As you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, my fiancé always says to me, the less you know about a topic, the more likely you are to consider yourself an expert in it. Like the authors <laughs> where they're like, I know I'm right, but you know nothing. And that's, yeah. I think, the danger of this social media where you have such, so little you have 126 words or whatever it is, but you say these things that are so dangerous and especially with um, what happened in Israel not that long ago. And I'll tell you with, just for, just for a second, why yeah. I think it's dangerous, why the security of Israel is important, not for the Jewish people. It's not important for the Israelis. Okay. The security of Israel, Israel is a stabilizing force within the Middle East. And you know, who know this, everybody in the Middle East knows this. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the people who don't know it are the progressives that think they're some social justice warriors and are doing something good for humanity. So the entire Middle East is very well aware that the fact that Israel is there is helping Western values. Okay. Everybody else in the, in the West and the, the you know, campuses and, and all these like wanting to do good people, but know nothing about it. They have no idea what's actually going on. Can you explain why that is just for the listeners? In what sense? Just, I know you talk about it in the book, but why is it that 
um, everyone in the Middle East knows that Israel is a yeah because it's because it's true. Israel is a military superpower with Western values, and Israel grants rights to all its citizens. It's the only country in the entire region that grants full human rights, democratic rights to all its citizens. No, Israel is surrounded by 21 Arab countries and Iran, which are, you know, for in the, failed states and Islamist regimes and like crumbling situations all around destabilized non-democracies, you know, flayed, like struggling democracy. It's, it's, a, ter- it's a terrible neighborhood. Okay, and Israel is the single consistent democracy that has been it's not going to falter. It's not going to fall. It's not going to fail. It's not going to not stand with the West. It stands against um, oppression. It stands against uh, um, Islamization of the region. Look at what's happening in Afghanistan right right now. The Taliban are exactly Hamas. It's the same Sunni Islamist organization that wants to create a caliphate and a Sharia law-based state. And as liberals, we have to be able to speak up against that without fearing that we'd be called Islamophobes. I Everything I learned about, about Islam and about Sharia law, I learned from my Muslim friends. And they're very upset at liberals around the world for pretending to be like, oh, freedom of religion, let's just like be in Lebid. no. Sharia law is the state manifestation of rape culture. It's horrific, period, end of story. And as a liberal, you have to be able to say that, right? Mm. And that's what Israel's not fighting against the Palestinian people. It's fighting against the Sunni Islamist organization that is controlling Gaza, which is 30 miles from Tel Aviv, which is launching rockets periodically and balloon with bombs and, and condoms with bombs and like consistently and in order to take over Gaza, which again, Israel is not even controlling Gaza, but like n- nobody knows that, they killed the Palestinian Authority, the people that were ruling it. They killed them, their brothers in order to take over. So for liberals to be like, to, to not be able to take a stand against that is like leaving the Muslim liberals that are trying to transform Islam from within, le- leaving them out to dry and die, basically. I think what's so interesting about what's certainly about the book is how you've interwoven your your personal history with history itself. Yeah. And, and you really take us all the way back, way back when, you know, pre-Christianity yeah. times, like way back. And then you bring us forward. And actually, the one bit, I think maybe it resonated with me most because Gabby and I are coaches. And this is what we see kind of every day, any, anyway, really within our practices is... Um, you you have a very personal and very um, beautiful story, really, about your your own um, upbringing, and that you that I won't give like stories away or anything from the book, but you went into therapy about it, mm-hmm. and you had grown up thinking one thing about yourself, and it turned out to not to be true, and mm-hmm. it really spun your head out. Mm-hmm. And what was beautiful about sharing that story is that you came to a conclusion that was when zoomed out that was about this region and it is that if we think something and then and it's actually not true 
it's based on our shaky belief system or misinformation or fake it's the original fake news isn't it really in that in that region it's just built on these kind of really shaky foundations then if you don't question it and you don't catch it and look at it from different points of view and different perspectives then you you're just going to keep building belief systems and the hate cycle continues because you, in your case you could ha- continue hating yourself if you wanted to but you mm-hmm. chose to do something about it and see the truth of it and so you you kind of you did this beautiful zoom out and looked at the region from that point of view and that yeah. it's built on shaky beliefs it's built on lies it's built on you know if we really want to go religious about it we can go back to the scriptures and we can go to texts and that's what i love about what you did this this is not a biased point of view you base this on some really like the kick ass truth yeah that probably no one really wants to hear, but it is a game changer in that it changes the entire perspective. And you just lay it out there and <laughs> in this beautiful, sassy tone that you have. <laughs> and it's like, um, sorry, it's a really, Thank I don't you. even know if there's a question at the end of this, but I just, I loved how you did that. You took your personal Thank story you. and made it uh, learning about how, what fake news does. Or just the, or ju- I think that, um, well, first of all, thank you. Um, second, yes, I, I, I brought myself into the book because my publisher and my edit, my um, agent were actually kept pushing for it. So I didn't intend to have it be so personal, but um, it ended up being the right choice. And I, there's a, there's a concept which I talk about that I can talk about in the book as well, concept and alchemy as above, so below. So whatever is going through us, as humans personally can be equated to people nations countries the universe like it's we we are a part of like a a, um either evolvement or like downhill spiral of humanity so we all have a responsibility to better ourselves personally so uh, to some extent i do believe and it's it's funny so i basically in in the book i worked through um something that happened in my family and how it affected my personality. And then what I take it to give an example about how this can actually be like, kind of like an example of the entire region. So this is what happens to everybody in the region. Right. And I, I do think that to some extent, if you literally you, the listener right now, right. Don't solve your problem with your mom or your dad or your sibling or whatever the closest kind of most annoying problematic relationship most um hidden secret about yourself that you don't want anybody to know the thing that you're the most shameful of if you don't solve that you're going to keep repeating it if you if you're if if we're if we're not going to take a real good look at ourselves as humans then humanity at large can't evolve so it's not a personal game in that sense. It's like a, all of our game. And I took the personal story that happened to me and that happened to my family, which was very tragic and dramatic, and used it to kind of show something about, about the region. I'm glad you, um, I'm glad it, it moved you and, and worked for you because there's, the, the book is, I relate to the book, I refer to it as a layer cake. So there's something for everyone. There's like the, the top cake is history. 
history of the region, make Israel simple for you. Um, if you're interested at all in the topic and if you find yourself lost for words, as a lot of us are at times. And then there are other layers as well where you can learn other stuff, hopefully, through um, my experience and really putting myself out there, which was, it's very, it's very intense <laughs> to have so many people now know so many things about me. And it's like things that it took me years to uncover in therapy and classes and whatever. And like, I wouldn't talk about them. And now it's like, I get asked about them in interviews and it's great. It's liberating. It's fun. And can I ask, you talk about BDS in the book. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you say a little bit about um, huh. that movement and, um, well, yeah, oh, my favorite people, those guys. So, okay, for, for people who um, don't uh, know anything, first of all, if you, if you want to read one chapter in the book, read that chapter. I think that's the most important chapter in the entire book. Um, <clears throat> okay, so BDS is a movement. Uh, it's it's um, initials for Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions movement. And it's a movement that was established or reestablished in 2005 because the efforts to boycott Jewish goods are not new. <laughs> so nothing new there uh, in 2005. And they're advocating for boycott of academia, financial boycott. They're, they're basically advocating to um, create Israel, uh, to, to turn Israel into pariah state and to brand it as an apartheid state and so on and so forth. The people behind that movement, their intention is to dismantle Israel. They don't hide it. They don't lie about it. They say it flat out. There are videos online of the founder whom I will not name, um, saying it flat out. So that's what they're after. But what they have done in the West, in the US and the UK and uh, elsewhere in Europe, is they have um, pivoted their language, <laughs> okay? To instead of saying, let's dismantle Israel as the single Jewish state in the world, they pivoted to language of woke kind of progressivism, um, uh, using words like justice and freedom. And they have basically duped the West to think that they are a movement about, um, about just that when they're actually after the dismantle of a democracy. And they have infiltrated campuses in a very dangerous way. They harass Jewish students. They make you, they, they infiltrated um, social justice movements like BLM and Women's March. And I mean, like violence against women organizations for crying out loud. Like the irony there is insane. And they, so they'll come to like a progressive movement or social justice movement and they will present themselves as um, a movement that's fighting against oppression. So they will present it, they'll use intersectionality. So they'll say stuff like Israel is a, an oppressive state. It's, it's white on brown oppression. That is false from the start because, and then BLM would be like, oh, of course, yes, free Palestinians as well, right? Where it's like, yeah, no, Palestinians are pretty freaking free in Israel actually more free than they are in Gaza. And the reason that they're not free in Gaza is not because of Israel, it's because of Hamas, right? So, but even that narrative of a brown on white oppression is false because Israel is not a white country, okay? So what they'll do is they'll use the perception of like American Jews as being of your Eastern, you're mostly of Eastern European descent. And that would click to BLM activists and be like, yeah, of course, Jews are white. Whereas in Israel, only 31% of, the, of Israelis define themselves as of Eastern European descent, which would make everybody else 
Middle Eastern and indigenous to the region as by their claims, right? And I hate having these arguments because that's so racist and annoying, but that's what they use in order to infiltrate all these social justice movements. So they do this, they're cloaking their dagger, they're hiding their intention because they know that if they show up on campus or at BLM or Women's March and they say, hey, do you want to dismantle a democracy? The majority of people would be like, I don't think so. No, not so much. So they don't say it. But when you read through, literally, and I've read through every single word in their writing, it was horrific. They first out blatantly lie. And second, they don't use the word peace anywhere. Not even once. Like BDS came out against the peace agreement, the Abraham Accord. Like they're actually against peace. Right. And of course, they like the people on the ground, the Palestinians on the ground hate BDS movement because they're preventing them from having rock concerts and Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Like they're actually limiting, they're limiting their ability to live a free life because they, they, they say that they're trying to help Palestinians, but they're actually trying to dismantle Israel. And by that, they're hurting Palestinians the most. So they are an organization, a movement, BDS is a movement which should not be allowed anywhere near a campus, anywhere near. And I really hope that um, the right people would read this and kind of snap out of this spell and these lies. Have you had any kickback since the books come out from BDS or... Not from BDS, but yeah, I mean, of course. What's the reaction be? I've been in the Israel advocacy. I've been in this world of speaking about the Middle East for Mm -hmm. over a decade. I've been followed by Radio Hamas in 2011, and I was like, oh, shit. So I'm used to, I'm used to, I don't know if anymore, I don't know if they do this anymore, but like, I'm used to getting, I got my first like online death threat back in like 2010 or 11. So it's, it, to me, it's just, it's just par for the course, right? You call it, we call it in the, like in the, in the world of like us, the people that actually do this work, we call it surfing the web while Jewish. So being online while Jewish, <laughs> you will get harassed. And I'm like, great, fine. Okay. So I'm just not going to write. I'm just going to, I'm just not going to read it. So I don't go into my um, general request DMs because there are thousands and thousands of them a day. And I sometimes see the hate and sometimes I'm like, whatever, but I don't delete comments. And I I just try to, um, we live in a world in which everybody has an opinion and not only everybody has an opinion, everybody thinks that their opinion counts. And I'm like, no, you are a troll or a bot from Qatar or Iran, and you're activating your trolls on me right now. And um, great, doesn't matter. Your opinion doesn't matter. Was that always the case? Like, did you have to kind of, how did you armor up for this? Because it's quite a role to, I mean, you explained in the book that you're like the unofficial ambassador, and it did kind of come a little bit, kind of by accident in a way. It must have taken some kind of design of like, who am I going to be in this role? I think that that was, so first of all, the way to develop, for lack of a better word, a thick skin uh, Mm. is to be in the entertainment industry since you're 14 years old, (laughs) right? Oh yeah, that'll do it, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I've heard so many no's and I've failed so many times that it's like, I know by now, I've been through the cycle of being hot and being not and being hot and being not and being hot and being not for like a million times. 
So I don't, and it's, it's one of those things where you just, it's, look, it's a cliche, but it's like, don't believe what they write about you, whether it's good or bad. Just remember who I am, what's important, my son, my friend, my family, my values, that's unshakable. And that, and it's not, it's not that it's always easy. Right. But like, I've, I've just been through this many, many times. So I have the perspective of just being the hottest ticket in town and then being the least interesting person in the world. And the, the has been, I've been a has been like 20 times, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I've also been an ingenue again and again. Right. So, you know, okay. All right. It's not, it's again, what's important is what I'm saying. What's important is how people are hearing. What's important is like, keep on the message. What's important is do my best to make a difference. Like, and be as healthy emotionally and physically as I can and, and be there for my family and my friends. Like that's what's important in life. How I'm perceived in the media at one point of time or the other is less important. It's funny. We were just talk- we were literally just talking about the fear of failure. I, I don't know who we have to be or what, what was in our growing, like how we were brought up that failure is okay with some and not with others. It can really floor yeah. people. Yeah. And I mean, it's really interesting to see what this new generation is going to be, how they're, you know, cause like the, the existence of safe space, quote unquote, the existence of this not common perception or common accepted kind of way of not rocking the boat with different ideas and not hurting people too much you know, is ludicrous to me. Because I, again, go back to our working on ourselves before working on the bigger picture. I can sit and talk to an anti-Semite. I don't get triggered by this. Does that make sense? Like being, getting, oh my God, I'm triggered. Therefore, you should alter how you talk to me. That whole concept of like the younger generation today is crazy talk. I'm like, no, if I get triggered, it's my trigger and it is my responsibility to take care of my trigger so I can listen to what is happening, even if it's anti-Semitic, right? So I've had a billion conversations with people who are anti-Zionist, anti-Semitic, anti, you know, hate, like whatever. And I, 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 you have to be able to be with these conversations. And that's a part of being with um, failure, and being able to like, got it. Okay, great. That didn't work. I'll do something different next time and not make it mean anything about you. And, you know, like the same thing about like PR, like if people hate me right now, if I'm getting hate online, that means that I'm what a different person. No. So, but that's, again, I think it's a function of age as well, function of practice, but I don't think we're doing service to our young generations by encouraging this, this university is a safe space. No, this university needs to be a real space. And if you're uncomfortable with these concepts, tough it out. Whatever they are, whatever they are, on the left, on the right, on the this, on the other, like, have a debate, have a conversation. But, you know, hopefully there'll be, there'll be a pivot there as well, because I think it went. I wanted to ask you what you think the pivot is that gets Israel out of this repetitive <sighs> cycle. That's a great question. Oh my God, I love this question. I'm not sure. You know, that's a really interesting question because I wonder if there's 
I wonder is, my question would be, how does a pivot, a country's pivot, how does it become reality in like the, you know, the, the community of nations, right? So for example, Israel pivoted. Benjamin Netanyahu is no longer the prime minister. There's a new prime minister and a new ministry of defense, of, of um, foreign affairs. There's Naftali Bennett, who's the prime minister, and Gail Lapid, who's the minister of foreign affairs, and an entire new cabinet, which is comprised of like right wing, left wing, Arab parties. Like it's a, it's an, it's an incredible coalition of people who really do not share the same opinions on almost anything <laughs> and are working together for a greater good which is literally what we need, what democracy should be about. Like, it's such an amazing example of what a democratic system should be. Because you know that yeah, Naftali Bennett, the prime minister, and um, Nitzan Hovitz from Merits, the left wing, you know they don't agree on, like, a lot of things. But they're like, all right, great. But for health, which is, he's the minister of health, great, let's focus on COVID, let's focus on what we need to do, let's, you know, which is incredible. So there's been a pivot there. Um, which is pretty extraordinary. But now the question is, how does it come across to the world? And how does it become reality in real, in real life? So I would assume that a pivot of countries, Israel or other countries, happens internally first, and then it'll, the ripple effect should actually, should, should actually land. So I'm hoping that, I know that they're, they're doing a lot of inner work in terms of um, messaging and telling the true story. Because... I allude to that in the book. The reason that Israel has such a terrible PR is because at the end of the day, they don't care that much. <laughs> right? <laughs> so the, the point of view of Israelis, which I'm, I'm an Israeli, right? So I'm 100% American, 100% Israeli. The point of view of Israelis is like, all right, we're dealing with real problems here. You guys try to deal with like rockets launched at you periodically every couple of months, then we'll talk. Fuck it. We got bigger fish to fry. We're not going to worry about what you think about us right now. We need to survive. Right. So at the end of the day, there has been this sense of it's just not the most important thing in the world to do. Um, and I think that the new government is realizing that that's actually not a great way to handle it because perception of international relationships is reality. So. I know that they are working extensively to make sure that the right story of Israel is um, is coming out and actually fighting against this. It's more than a fake news campaign. It's a it's a political campaign to dismantle Israel, to destroy Israel. Um, it's it, that's actually going to be helpful because if these people are successful, we're in trouble. Like Western civilization is in trouble. And that's what people need to understand. This is, again, it's not about the Jewish people and it's not about the Israelis. It's about Western values and Western civilization. And how are they currently using your book as part of this PR? Um, I message? am not entirely sure, but I, you know, I got great responses from the new president of Israel, really loved the book. I am talking to a lot of members of Congress in the U.S. who read the book and are very supportive and we're very excited, about, you know, very excited about it. And from the Democratic Party, um, which would be interesting. So I hope it'll be used um, just to bring the conversation back to reality. It debunks some serious myths. It, I mean, it really does. It's like jaw dropping, actually, yeah. about the misinformation we've been fed or not being fed, actually, just 
the silence. The silence and also because, again, on the, um, let's say, pro-Israel or pro-democracy or people that don't care that much or people that kind of, you know, Jews, non-Jews, whatever, there was like a bit of a um, cruising along. There was a, a a bit of a oh we're we're good we don't need to we don't need to know that much we don't need to worry about it it's fine but on the other side there's been a war but only one side knows that they were in a war <laughs> do you know what I mean like this this started in 2001 and the Durban conference for a racism which the United States and Israel pulled out of because it became a anti-Semitic a full-on anti-Semitic conference that language started there so they started this in 2001 so one side was at war the side that tries to dismantle Israel and the other side was asleep. It is really interesting actually that since, because you released the book in April this year, it's now September for any listeners and it's, and just what has transpired, you know, everything going on in, in Afghanistan just last month in the last month or yeah. so has really sky skyrocketed. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing was insane because the book came out on April 6th and three and a half weeks later, the biggest war between Hamas and Israel erupted. And everything that I said in the book and warned about happened. Mm. And people are like, oh, my God, how did you know? And I'm like, I have no, that's, I, wrote, I wrote the book as I saw this coming. I just didn't realize it's going to come that fast and that powerfully, right? So the anti-Zionism, anti-Semitism, but I did, I mean, the anti-Semitic attacks in the U.S. and all over the country, you know, all over the world, that was, it was real um, shock and stunning speed. How the whole thing happened was very kind of shocking. I just want to go back to the point you were making about debate. And I think, I mean, Gabby's Jewish and I, I she's like really my only kind of like into that community and I understand so much more now that we've been friends and you know business partners for this long and you know we've we've interviewed a rabbi your rabbi Gabby haven't we and um also one of the members of your congregation on, on what it's like to be black and a Jew and I just what I have just so enjoyed about learning about the whole community is just is this point about debate Mm. Oh, I was explaining. Yes. I was explaining Judaism oh. in, in like what I understand of Jewish. Now, to to my partner the other day, I was like, and I just, it's the only religion that I've experienced that truly debates. Oh my everything. god! Like it's not just yeah. the, oh, that's the book. That's it. That's oh my god! Percent, that's and you're the only like community that just goes bring it on. Like like I love a juicy 100%. debate. Hundred <laughs> percent. And it's almost like it's in your blood to like. It's a. I, I love that you say that. Use up and yes. stick your teeth into a big juicy like. Oh, I disagree. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, here's the thing. It's literally a huge part of Jewish upbringing. It's probably a part of like the secret sauce of like Jewish <laughs> resiliency throughout the years, right? So Jews are not yeah. powerful. They're just resilient, right? Yeah. But this practice is open for everybody to adopt, right? So Judaism is the only religion in the world which documents dissent, dissenting opinions for thousands of years, right? So it's literally, there's like thousands of writings over scriptures and like incidences and holidays and like a way of living. And then this rabbi says this, and this rabbi says that, and that rabbi, this person says this, and there was a story about that. And you read through it, right? It trains you as a person from a very young age to extract meaning 
from writings and readings. So it trains you to think outside the box, to have a debate, to think about it from a different points of view. And when you train that way as a child, you grow up to be entrepreneurial and like verse in like studies and like the whole thing about like education in the Jewish world. That's really it. That's the whole conspiracy thing. That's out for everybody to do. You know what I mean? And it's, I, I remember when I moved to the States and started talking to my friends who went to Catholic school. And one of my friends was like, I asked the, the nun. Oh, you did? Well, there you go. And he told me, he's like, I asked the nun one time, how is immaculate conception? How is that possible? And I'm like, what'd you say? And he goes, I got spanked. Yeah. <laughs> how and I'm dare like, you? What? To see the headmaster. Exactly. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 no. We're literally not allowed to ask any questions. No question. And I mean, that is like the 180 of being Jewish. Yeah. 180. <laughs> so you're encouraged to go to like your rabbi and your teachers and be like, I don't believe this. What does that mean? <laughs> okay. And that's why Judaism also evolved throughout the years. Like, so the world, there's no creationism in Judaism. Judaism works with science. So it's quite clear to the majority of rabbis, right? I don't know about the extremes or whatever, but like pretty much every rabbi that I know that it's like, yeah, the world was created in seven days. What is a day? <laughs> what is a day what does a day meant at the time when the bible was written maybe a day was who knows you know what i mean like there's it's constantly about asking questions and you you just it literally pointed that out and i th this is it this is the secret sauce that is literally it so you're you're able to debate until from dusk to dawn and it's all documented for thousands of years. And then also what happens is throughout the years, there's no, that's why there's no um, set doctrine. Like the doctrines kind of adopt with time, right? Because there's descending views, descending views, debate, debate, debate. And then the, the, the power, the most powerful or adapted or more evolved kind of opinion um, emerges as the leading opinion or practice of Jewish communities throughout the years. The fact that you are able, like it is in your blood to debate, like that is what we are missing, you know, this absolutism that we live in, this, yeah. this very polarised world that we have created, the, the kind of, as Gabby would, you know, said earlier about, you know, I've read one Instagram post, I'm now an expert, <laughs> you know, well, okay, At least great. you read well, it, maybe the meme is like, that. you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, maybe we all need to be a lot more Jewish because we. I think debate is the only way. Absolutely, happens. I love. I love that you said that. And again, Jewish way of living is public knowledge. <laughs> There's nothing hidden there. There's no cabal yeah. <laughs> hiding in the back rooms. Go online, figure out how it's done, and start debating. I love it, Noah. Thank you so much. This has been it just so... inspired. I could just talk to you for hours. <laughs> I, I would know. love to. <laughs> thank, thank you so much. Noah, thank you that so much. That was a pleasure. Thank you, Gabby, for bringing Noah into our lives. That, oh, like, me. pow! 
<laughs> She's brilliant. Oh, I didn't want to stop talking to her. I because I think I felt like I knew her because she'd been in my ears for the whole book. <laughs> she'd actually told me that story, so it oh felt like meeting a friend oh. a bit. I need to be her friend. Yeah. <laughs> uh oh, Gabby's new girl crush <laughs> incoming. Yeah. Moving to LA. <laughs> Gosh, she's amazing. I am. Um, I mean, tell me. Let's do one takeaway each because I mean, there's so much we could take from this. But let's distill it down. Firstly, I think everyone should read this book. It's acclaimed by people on, if you will, both sides of the fence, and it is so insightful. And it taught me so much that I I really highly recommend it because it's so easy to kind of ignore or have a kind of like vague opinion on but it's so unfair to so many millions of people to not know what's going on there so uh, that's my first kind of like call to action I think I'm still mulling what I'm taking away from it because it's just it's so big what about you what comes to mind for you I mean she makes me want to be a lot less passive I think Mm. Mm. like she saw this as an issue and I mean I see this as an issue and I'm just like oh well you know it's like she wrote this book which is a game changer and is going to empower and educate so many people to be able to have intelligent conversations Mm. about this subject rather than just emotive and I think it's very easy to shy away from difficult conversations and I think sometimes I'm too passive so I feel very much like I want to be active after speaking to her and I think that there's something about her that is just that can't stand idly by and and just let things wash um I think that's kind of what I want to take away from this is just yet again I love I love cementing or finding more stories that kind of feed mm. what I understand about life. And it truly is that your mindset is the only thing that will stand in your way. That yeah. woman does not let anything stand in her way. Yeah. Her strength is, she doesn't give a shit that people are sending her death threats. She doesn't give a shit about her reputation. It'll come back. Ugh, it's only another news cycle, all of that. And we we are so scared. I think we live in very fearful times of being cancelled. Fuck's sake. Mm. What a what mm. a culture. Uh, of being, you know, our reputational damage can happen within hours. So we don't speak or we speak anonymously or we troll people or whatever the, whatever this is. And she's right out there. Mm. Full full frontal (laughs) out there saying what she knows is true what is backed by super intelligence and fact and and I I really admire her courage really because it it takes a lot to be out there it it is quite it could be perceived as a very dangerous world especially with this very explosive if you will Mm -hmm. material and just her complete unabashed unafraid approach is yeah makes you want to be an activist I'm with you Gabby I think I've come to the same (laughs) 
Same I mean, conclusion. Amelia, you are very, you're not, uh, you do stick up for what you think. I, I definitely think you have that quality already, but. Um, yeah, there's still things that I'm shying away from, especially in recent, uh, in recent news where I don't feel educated enough or I don't feel like, uh, you know, shit, I can't say that, that will, yeah. that will be my business gone or, you know, there's still things you shy away from. Well, more for season five. Then. Yeah. <laughs> the personal development continues. <laughs> yes. Um, we will leave a link to buy Noah's book uh, in the show notes and to follow her on Instagram and Twitter and um, we implore you to do so. We'll see you next week for Coach Approach and we'll see you after that in season five with new and amazing people to meet then. <laughs> yeah. Bye. <laughs> Bye. like the episode please rate review and subscribe you can follow us on instagram at pivot points podcast twitter at pivot points one or email us on pivotpointspod at gmail.com and if you want to work with us we are gabby miller and amelia sabawal and our details are all in the show notes see you next time bye bye